Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio, and we are here to not just talk about a victory by Tottenham Hotspur in the FA Cup, but also Tottenham's transfer window. And we are not only here to talk about Tottenham's transfer window, but we have all the people here who have helped make this transfer window happen. With Brian Ashlock, we have one of the many scouts who found Pedro Poro. Brian, how does it feel to have brought the right back that Tottenham Hotspur need to this club? Uh, It's going to be real annoying if he sucks. So right now I'm just basically kind of balanced on that cliff where very excited, but if he plays like shit the first game, um, uh, you may never hear from me again. As one of our listeners have said, uh, in before viral with Pedro Poro is the most wheelie-dealer radio take possible. So I'm very happy about it. But not only do we have myself and Brian, who are two of the scouts for Pedro Poro, but we have the man as a special guest this week because Ben is too busy scouting the next great, great Tottenham Hotspur fullback. But taking his place, we have the man who single-handedly got Matt Doherty cut from Tottenham Hotspur. It's Ryan Rosenblatt. <laughs> Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, it is, you know, something to be here. How does it feel to make such a direct comp- direct contribution to uh, Tottenham Hotspur's front office? I, I would like it a lot better uh, if Levy didn't stiff me on the uh, fee I was supposed to get. You knew what you were getting into. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this one before. <laughs> so let's start. Uh, we have a game to talk about, but I don't think it's as interesting as the transfer and dough, which... I want to start with uh, the obvious thing, which is like, Ryan, can you tell me how you directly led to Matt Doherty getting cut from Tottenham Hotspur? Um, I mean, it's it's really not that interesting when I explain it. Uh, <laughs> in the morning on uh, transfer deadline day, um, there was the report that Matt Doherty was going to Atletico Madrid on loan, and it came from all the people who clearly were getting briefed by Tottenham. So I was like, okay, so he's going to Atletico on loan. And then a little bit after that, uh, Jed Spence went on loan uh, to France. So I have a spreadsheet, like all the cool kids do, that has all the Tottenham players and what their wages are and when their contract runs out and whether they occupy a foreign place or a homegrown place. Um, just, you know, so whenever we have these conversations, I don't have to Google it every single time. I can see it all in one place. And when I looked at it, I, anytime a player is away on loan, I kind of put their name in red. Um, and I noticed there were a lot of guys in red. And when I looked at all the guys in red, I was like, and a lot of them are on loans internationally. So I counted up how many were on loan internationally, and we were up to eight, which is the most that FIFA allows you to have on loan internationally. So I wasn't entirely sure how Matt Doherty was supposed to go on loan to uh, Atletico Madrid because we were already at the limit. So I, I pulled up the FIFA handbook and I read through that and I was like, I don't think there's a loophole here for them to jump through. And 
uh, kept talking about it in the Slack, and nobody can find a reasonable loophole. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how I figured it out, because um, I saw a list of all of our players on loan, which, to be fair, I can't see any way that the club could have possibly had that. So how would they know? <laughs> it is a little concerning they weren't aware of this, and uh, I know it made its way around Twitter. I'm going to presume that Ali G... Uh, Alistair Gold asked the club this, and that is when they noticed that uh, Matt Doherty going on loan might cause some problems. Uh, I guess if we were being fair to the club, it would be uh, Sporting asking for Pedro Porro to be a, a loan at the last minute might have thrown some, you know, gum That's in the a, works. It, but they should have, you know, when they came to us, I feel like they should have known about this. The Porro thing doesn't matter because you get eight in and eight out. So it's oh, so that out. doesn't even matter. Okay, no, fair enough. It, the only the only thing that would have pushed it over the edge that they didn't know going into that whole negotiation is Spence. So well, who at that knew point, he was going on loan, right? Question of Spence or Doherty. Either you got to cut one, or one has to go on loan domestically. Like because there's no limit on domestic loans. If they would have said, "Now nah, we're we'll loan Doherty and Spence has to go play it in the second division in the championship somewhere," that also would have been fine. But you know, you get eight out internationally and as many as you want domestically and. They, they they didn't count to nine. And, you know, what I'll say is, is you know, for Ryan and the, the rest of the people in our writer's room, like, it was obviously very difficult for us to figure this out. And so I can understand how the club didn't get there. I mean, look, I, mean, I got, did like, slip into a coma at one point, I'll, to be fair. To I mean, club. look, we've got, like, five lawyers in that room, like, at least one Ph.D., um, a couple of people with degrees from Harvard. Like, we got some very smart people and also Ryan in that room. And uh, so, like, we did, we all put our heads together, tried to find loopholes and everything. And so, you know, if we couldn't find it, then there's no way that Spurs could have uh, could have even thought about it. So, I don't know. I was going to say, to be fair, all we did is go, they're definitely breaking this rule, right? And then all the discussion and people trying to lawyer it up was trying to find a way that they – because the assumption was they're not this dumb, right? Well, see, um, I think that's the have, thing. They must have – like, there must be a loophole that they know. What loophole is this? That's the thing. If and this was a crime – so hard to find a loophole. If this was a, just a crime, I think Paratici would have had it covered. But, no, it was, it was just – it was neglect. So, you know, that's the real problem here. Yeah, good I mean – club we got there. I mean, in some ways, like right, like Matt Doherty isn't on our books anymore. Is like, however, we got there. It's not the worst thing in the world. I, I am skeptical. We could have gotten real money for him. Um, we could have gotten more than no money for him. I mean, like, or or more than having to pay him to leave. Basically, like, I, you you can't tell me that there's not a team either in England that could have used him or that we couldn't have sold him this summer. I mean, I think I think, and Ryan with his spreadsheet can probably correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but he's under contract until the su- next summer. So it's not like he was expiring this year and we were just done with him. Like he had a whole, we could have sold him this summer, and you know, at a cut rate price, sure, but like we could have gotten real money for him. So I, I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced of that. Even if it was like two or four million euros or whatever, I mean, maybe that is something that is out there, but like. This guy has been hurt and not very good and not playing. 
I mean, we've we've heard enough talk over the last couple windows that there is some interest in him. Like, I I don't I didn't expect to get a lot of money. I think it's hard to divorce that from Mendez shenanigans. I mean, however you get it, like Mendez hasn't like Mendez would move him on to take and for some fee, so that way he can collect another check. Like, there was definitely some money to be had there. I mean, in the end, not having him on the books, it's a fine outcome. Although we don't know. Because he apparently only signed a six-month deal at Atletico Madrid, and I'm pretty skeptical that he would just agree to a release, sign a six-month contract, and give up all of his wages from next year. So I don't know if we had to pay him off to go away or something. So I don't know, like, really if it comes out to be a good thing. The outcome of no Matt Doherty is not really an issue. Um, the outcome of our, our – uh, we didn't know the rules – that's not it's great. concerning if yeah, nothing else out, outcome maybe not terrible process uh for the hundredth time not great so let's talk about the window in general um we sent a lot of guys out on loan um a lot of a lot some youth players some players that were surplus to requirements some players that antonio conte didn't want to play and we brought in Dan Juma as a attacker, and we brought in Pedro Porro as a right wing back, who arguably is also an attacker. Uh, how do we feel about this window, uh, Ryan? I'll start with you. Just I know you've talked a lot already, but you're not on this podcast every week, so we haven't heard you talk about Pedro Porro. So, just from a player acquisition standpoint, how are you feeling about the the squad that we've put together coming out of the window? I I think I also get to go first because I didn't try talking on mute, but. Um... You know, you're not supposed to tell him that. If Ben's not here to call it out, you're not supposed to tell anybody that. I'm supposed to get free passes when Ben's not here. Yes, I think that uh, most people bring me around for the free pass, sure. Um, No, I mean, I think it was a fine window. Um, I think that it's nice that we got Poro. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical that he's really the fit that we need. I I think that... We need someone who's going to play better in possession, uh, um, especially in the middle third, to help out a midfield that uh, just can't really pass very much. Um, And that's not really who he is. He's going to get into the final third and make things happen. My hope is that he, being the attacking threat he is, just kind of pins opposing teams back and gives the midfield some more room to work. And maybe he shifts the math enough that the lack of kind of possession play in the middle – improves not really by his possession play, but just kind of the threat of him. And that'd be great. Um, But we paid a lot of money for a guy who I don't think is a direct fit. And also I have some questions about how he fits in a post Conte future. So is that necessarily the the move I would have made? No, but I mean, if you want to kind of contrast that to the Richarlison move from the summer, where we also paid a ton of money for a guy who may not be a great fit, um, but is a good player. At least this time we did it at a clear position of need and not a position where we're just looking to add depth. So like, is this really the guy I would have signed? Probably not. Would I have done at that price? Probably not. But if you're going to overpay and go after a guy, at least you do it for a player who's clearly some level of good and exactly in the position you need. So, I mean, I'll take it. It's not my favorite move, but I, I I'm fine with that. And Dan Juma, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical that he's going to, make a big impact because I mean, if you look at 
the front line, and I'm expecting that we'll probably be a little bit healthier up front in the second half of the season than the first half of the season. Even still, Brian Hill played 300 minutes this season, basically. Um, Dan Juma's an upgrade on him, for sure. And it'll be nice to have him playing those minutes instead of Brian. But, I mean, you're bringing in a guy to play 300 minutes, probably is my guess. And so I'm a little bit skeptical about how much of an impact I'll make. But the cost of that is $2.5 And if the cost is $2.5 to shore up 300 minutes, sure, why not? Like, I, I don't think it matters that much either way. Well, the other thing you got to just to stay on the Dan Juma for a second, you got to wonder, like, okay, Brian got 300 minutes. How comfortable would Conte have been giving him more minutes if – you know, it's Dan I mean, Juma as opposed to Brian. Yeah, but I also think we're going to be a little healthier than we were in the first half of the season. I mean, Decky missed a lot of time. Charleston has missed time, even though he's still hurt. Um, Son missed time. I, I think we're going to be a little bit healthier, and he'll probably still be around 300 minutes, unless we get really hurt again. I mean, if we if we end up with a bunch of more injuries, then it looks like a masterstroke when he's playing those minutes instead of Brian. I just, you know, I don't think it makes a huge difference. I don't... It, would I have made the move? Probably not. It, it's the cost is so low, though. And sure, why not? And he's shown flashes in previous seasons of maybe having another gear in there. Um, that hey, maybe he plays well enough that we want to buy him for twenty four million outright. And sure, like that'd be great if he were that good. Although, again, we're talking about right now a fourth, fifth forward. So it yeah, it's nice, but it's not. That's not really central, I think, to a lot of what we do. If the fourth or fifth forward is the big deal, then I, I think we're kind of – that's just really not where the focus is, I don't think, in making a huge impact. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree completely with Ryan. I, I think the window in terms of just acquisitions is okay. I think, you know, as much as much as Greg and Ben and I were, like, wish-casting on, on Pedro Porro, like, it, it – it does still feel a little bit like wish casting because, you know, we saw him be good, you know, in Portugal against, you know, largely inferior co- competition. And, and you were um, wasted. Yeah. Well, not no, at we the match. We weren't because there's nowhere to find beer around that fucking stadium. <laughs> um, and they don't serve it at the ground. Um, so we were stone sober watching that game. Um, but, you know, I think the thing with Poro is is like Ryan said I don't know that he's necessarily an amazing fit if you move to a manager after Conte that doesn't play a back three or that doesn't use wing backs the way that Conte does um but Conte is currently our manager and I think in this system he very much works and we have gotten so little production out of every single player at right back that if Pedro Porro does something, he is a massive upgrade. Like the right, right wing back has just been a massive black hole for Spurs. And like, I like Emerson Royale. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's a competent, like fullback. Um, And I think, you know, he gets a little bit more, uh, more stick than he's probably deserving of for his play at, at wing back. Pedro Porro is much better than him, like on the ball, in the attack. Like we are going to see better things from him. He's going to be a worse defender, but I think that's fine in this system and with the midfield that we have and with the defenders that we have. And and then, like Ryan said, like Dan Juma, I just don't know how many minutes he's going to play. Like, uh, Greg, you touched on at the beginning, the, the win in the FA Cup. 
Denjuma scored. His movement in the last like 15 minutes that he played, it was nice. He he scored one. He almost had another one. Like, you know, I, I felt like, and again, he's playing against Preston North End, so not a, exactly a high level co- of competition here. But like, he looked threatening in a way that, you know, lots of our bench attackers haven't really looked this year. That like, you know, Richarlison hasn't really come off the bench and and done a lot of stuff other than like look busy and like, you know, do shithousery stuff. Like, you know, Dan Juma came on and looked like technical and like he was going to score goals and stuff. So like, I, I don't know if he, if he does uh, contribute a little bit, he plays some decent minutes as a sub. He gets a couple goals. Like Ryan said, two and a half, three million for, for that. Okay. And then, you know, we've got an option to purchase him for whatever it is, 20 something million, 24 million euros, which is, not a lot. Like I, I don't know. Like, is that maybe worth it? I don't know. I mean, he's twenty five. Like, could could you find someone that was you know twenty two, twenty three, that was a better fit for that fifth attacking role? Probably, if you were a good team with good processes and good scouting. Yeah, absolutely, you could. Um, but but we're Spurs, so maybe Dan Juma is a, is a totally fine option to do that. I don't know. I mean, I th- my thing with Dan Juma is even like looking and picking up that option, like 24 million euros, not an exorbitant amount of money. But if you're going into a summer where you absolutely need a goalkeeper, you absolutely need a left back, you need at least one, probably two center backs, you might need a backup right back, you need at least one, if not two central midfielders. You might need to replace am I, am I, your am I really club's then leading 20... score of all no, time. No, but here's what I would right. say about Dan Juma. Here's what I would say about Dan Juma. Right now, he's costing us 2.5 million euros or whatever the hell it is. As far as, like, if if we're really worried about, like, Richarlison's health, which I think is a rational fear at this point, at least for the rest of this season, like, this isn't buying, like, Vinicius. This isn't buying, like... Gedson, like we've had to do in previous years. As far as like an emergency backup option, like no, Dan Juma is like a real attacker, like an actual honest to God attacker who's respectable and should be like at a maybe. I mean, maybe we're at sort of the upper tier, but like you know, it's sort of like a Europa League or better team. And you know, as far as like a bench option for Spurs for the rest of this season at least, which is like as far as Spurs are concerned, we're paying pocket change for. Like no, absolutely, that's a great move. Like, for what we've got, for the fact that our backup to our front three, which is, has its own problems, is, like... But the fact that our backup is, like, not the most healthy guy in the world right now. Like, Dan Juma, for the rest of this year, like, fucking great acquisition, as far as I'm concerned. Like, that guy is a real player who can maybe score real goals. And if he can't, like, you just let him walk and it doesn't cost you anything. Like, that, that is a real acquisition that I think is... I think that's actually pretty savvy on the club's part. Um, I think Pedro Poro is like, you know, I, I think it's worth like this guy has a lot of flaws and a lot of potential issues. And a lot of it's going to be about how he just develops at the next level. And, you know, I understand why there's some skepticism about that. But the fact of the matter is, like a year ago, we were talking about bringing in fucking Adama Traore. And I know that, like, for some reason, a bunch of nerds that we're all friends with have, like, talked themselves into Adama Traore because he oils up his muscles or something. But, like. Pedro Poro, and I understand there's, like, a price issue here that we're talking about, but, like, undoubtedly a better right wing back than fucking Adama Traore is ever going to be. So, but, 
They're both shiny, but in different ways. Yes. With well, Oro, like, it's his teeth. Exactly. With Hazama, it's like every other part of him. And if, if there's anything, you know, and again, like Ryan just sort of went through the list of like what we need to buy in the summer. But the fact of the matter is if I don't know when, how long Conte is going to be here before we're going to figure out how if this can fucking work. Like the short term option to like strengthen the team is right wing back. It's clearly the most efficient position on the team. You know, we've talked about Emerson Royale a lot, but you know he can attack. He can drive forward. I don't know if it's going to work, but I think there's something to be said for it. Not only is his attacking output pretty impressive, and I think there's at least some of that is going to translate to the Premier League. And I really like his technical ceiling. I think we're ignoring the fact that this is a player who could get better and, you know, is going to adapt his play to the level that he's at. But, you know, just keeping teams honest, like, I think there's a real value to that. You see what they just, oh, Emerson Royale has the ball? Like, here's fucking 50 acres of space. You know, do whatever you want with it because we don't think you can do anything with it. You know, just having a guy like Poro who's going to be able to, like, just cause havoc is, I I think, going to make a real difference in this team. And, you know, it's, it's... certainly more than a more than adequate attempt to give Conte a wing back who can, you know, do what he wants a wing back to do. And well, and I mean, think about how good this team looked when, you know, Matt Doherty kind of came in in place of Emerson and was doing, you know, his attacking stuff, which is admittedly more limited than what Pedro Porro does. Like, just having another threat in the box or in the pen- around the penalty area like made a difference for what we looked like in the attack and and I know Ryan talked a little bit about you know Poro maybe not being great as a passer or as a progressor of the ball but like in the final third he opens up a lot of options for you whether it's whether it's with his crossing whether it's with him just you know getting into dangerous areas and making sh- and taking shots like you know him and Kulisevsky paired up on that right hand side is going to do a lot and it is going to draw defenses over there and what I'm actually interested to see is what does it do for Sun does it start to open up play for Sun coming off the left does it start to open up opportunities for Perisic to get back post headers like does this change what we look like in attack? And I think you have to look at Poro playing it at Sporting and go, yeah, it's absolutely going to change us. You know, you know what I'm excited about? I mean, I, I agree with you, Brian. I think that's exciting. But what I'm excited about is, like, I think when, when you put Poro in the team, you're taking a lot of the water-carrying shit off of uh, Kulishevsky's plate. And I'm just excited to see – I'm really excited to see what our attack looks like now that we've got, you know – another option that's working the way it's supposed to work in a Conte system. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, 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 go ahead, man. I, sorry. I, I, I was going to say, I, I think Decky, like we keep seeing, we're asking him to be the guy who gets the ball forward and then also the guy who creates the chance at the end. And he's great, but, I mean, he's not two players. And so if Poro can pick up some of the slack on one of those, I think we'll get to I see a lot Poro more out of him. Because of that, because, well, that's what I'm saying. Some of both like, of those, if he, yeah. If he's doing one of them, then Decky can do the other one, and Decky doesn't have to do both of them. I mean, they can they can trade off who's doing what when, but just the, the, the taking that off of him because we've – I mean, say what you want about any number of things. I, I think we've seen pretty clearly that 
this season, this team is entirely dependent in the attack on Decky because without him, they they just don't function. And that's not to say that other like Harry Kane is a better player than uh, Kulisevsky is. He's I don't think he's more important to this team than Kulisevsky is because Kulisevsky specifically does things that no one else on this team could possibly do for reasons that we can lay at the feet of Paratici. But like, hey, he got a guy now at least who can do some of those things. And who knows, maybe Decky, instead of having to do everything, could actually just be a more impactful player because he can be really good at one thing instead of having to be pretty good at every single thing. And I think I think something that's getting overlooked, because I think there's a tendency among Spurs fans to just, you know, how can this go wrong? There's, you know, we're, we're sort of looking at that. But, like, Pedro Porro is an, is an incredibly physically talented player and also an incredibly technically talented player. I don't. I think he's a really good purchase for this team. I think he's an exceptional purchase for this team under Conte. And I don't like if we bring in a Pochettino or who, excuse me, whoever after Conte. I think he can work under those guys. I think this is a really talented player who can get forward and cause some chaos. And I don't know. I'm very excited we got him, and not just because I got to watch him in Lisbon last year. And I mean, yeah, I mean look. The- Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, it's not like there's not previous for attacking fullbacks, like, who don't play a lot of defense, making really big impacts, even in teams that play a back four. I mean, Alexander-Arnold, Cancelo, like, Zinchenko, like, they're they're guys that do that. And I'm not saying that that Poro is, is that level, but, like, you can hide... Uh, a defensively weaker fullback. You just can. Like and and you can do it in a lot of different ways, whether it's with the back three, whether it's with, you know, how you structure your midfield, whatever. Like I, I think we just have to like like this is just gonna be fun, I think. And he he's going to give us a player, a wide player that is fun. And we haven't really had that since like Rose and Walker. Like that that it's just gonna give us a different dimension. Yeah, and I mean, I like I have skepticism over his ability to fit in a back four. It doesn't mean he can't. I'm just not entirely convinced of it. Like, I have some skepticism that he is the ideal fit even in this current team. doesn't mean that he's not going to get it done. Would I pay as much money as we did? Would he have been my choice? No would no. That said, like you, we, we've talked about, we needed that right wing back. And at least we targeted the right position. And he is good enough that I can't imagine any world in which we look back on this in a year or two years or three years and be like, crap, we got nothing out of that. And I mean, he, after Indombole and Lacelso, I'm not going to go that far, but I understand uh, but like, where you're coming I, from. But I mean, I just, I don't, I, I think we may look back on and go, yeah, maybe we could have signed someone else or maybe we shouldn't have paid that much money for him. But I don't think we're going to be going back out here next summer or next winter or the summer after that and be like, we need to sign a right back because we just don't have one. Like, we, we have one, and we may need to sign a second one, but we have one. And so even if you want to quibble like I might over the price or the identification of which specific one, we got a player who is somewhat with some level of good and who plays the position in which we desperately needed a guy. Like, th- there's no way this is a whiff. How good it is, we'll find out. But there's, there's no, like, there's no whiff here. There's something to be said for, you know, we just talked earlier in this podcast, and I think we would all agree, like, there was a lot of incompetence from Daniel Levy and 
Fabio Paratici during this window. But there's something to be said. Like, I feel like all of us have gone out and bitched and moaned in previous windows about, like, why don't we just fucking pay the money and get the targets in we want? And you know what Spurs did this window? They they went and got the target they wanted. Maybe it was later than we wanted. Some other shit we can quibble about. But the fact of the matter is they stumped up and paid the money. And I'm excited about it. Like, again, I've watched this guy play three matches in my life, one of which was in person. I mean, he pops off the screen. We all joked because our right wing back situation was so bad. And admittedly, some of it was a joke. But I remember being in the slack during those games we played against Sporting in the Champions League. Like, fuck, why don't we just sign this Poro guy? Like, it would be better than the shit we're running out there now. Like, I mean, this guy's got something. And I'm, between a coach of the caliber of Antonio Conte and just the talent we've seen from him, like, we're going to get something out of him. And I think he's talented enough to work both in, especially in the system that Conte runs, but also you bring a talented enough in coach, like a Mauricio Pochettino, for instance. I think this guy's got enough you can figure it out. I mean, I think if also if you kind of just kind of take a step back and look at it like we were talking about, you need a goalkeeper. You maybe need a left back. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm high on you, Dogie, but we'll see. Um, you need it, probably two center backs. You needed a right back. You needed two central midfielders. Okay, like that's where we were a week ago. Well, they took care of one of those, and they still have a lot of work to do in the summer. Um, you have to fill all those spots. The one you don't have to fill, at least for now, is is right wing back. And so, again, I have issues quibbling over it, but, like, we have a right back. We've taken care of that. Like, at least that is one need that you can check off and go start working on the other things come summer. So whether you're talking about these next six months and the impact he'll make under Conte and just kind of fill in that gaping hole that there was on that right side for the next six months and whatever else, when you look at this team and this squad and what you're building for the future, they checked one of those boxes and they had a lot of boxes. So I'm not going to get like, again, would I have paid that much money? No, but at least you checked a box. You checked the right box. Like, good for you. Keep it going. And at the end of the day, we're talking about money. We're like, oh, I would have paid like, what, five, ten million euros. Like, like, fucking whatever. Like, this team can afford that. This isn't stopping us from signing fucking Lionel Messi or something. Yeah, I mean, look wow. at the crazy, stupid money that Chelsea spent. Like, we, Jesus Christ. You I know, mean... like, okay, like, we overspent a little bit on, you know, Pedro Porro. We didn't spend, you know, $115 million on a guy who's maybe worth 40 You know, like, so, you know, we're okay. And the key thing is we did it at the right. And, like, that's where I say, like, I'm, I love Richarlison. I'm still mad about that signing because you don't go splurge and spend that much money on a backup forward. You yeah. do spend it on arguably your biggest need. We needed a right back. When you overspend, that's where you overspend it, your biggest need that is causing a giant problem. So well, is it too much? Maybe, but you overspent at the right place. So And the flip forget, side is, I'll, I'll take it. with a guy like Dan Juma, who is maybe not in your, like, the most needed position on the pitch, but could help you. Like you're getting it for a song for the rest of the season. And then frankly, if he kills it for the rest of the season, like you've got him for a pre affordable amount of money. It's not a bad business in January. Like we got a lot of work to do in the summer, but neither of these guys are going to cripple us. We addressed our biggest, I, I would argue our biggest need certainly as well, as long as Conte's here, our biggest need. And you know, it's, I, it's an exciting player. I'm, I'm, I'm really for a whole variety of reasons, I'm very chuffed about Pedro Porro being a Spurs player. Yeah, I think the thing is, January is not when you're doing a lot of squad building. 
Like you're not you're not like all right, we're overhauling everything. And I think like you do what you do unless you're Chelsea, I guess. Um, <laughs> but like uh, like Ryan said, you just want to tick some boxes and get some guys in. And that can help you at, like for these six months and then also, you know, prevent you from having to do business on those things in the summer. And and we did that. And I think overall the squad is better than it was, you know, before we entered the window. I think as fans, we all wanted it to be much better or at least, you know, like, while Dan Juma is an upgrade over Brian Heal, I think a lot of us were thinking like, oh, maybe we could be upgrading other positions. Like, you know, maybe, you know, the there was the links to, you know, players like Guardiol and I'm going to say his name wrong, Hincapi. It's probably Hincapier or something like that. Um, Brian, you want to chime in on that one? <laughs> he's, he's, he's South American, so it's not Hincapier. That'd be French. <laughs> um no i mean like my thing is yeah it's january and my a great january is if you can fill two needs um like and and any january um and you want none of those things to kind of be something you have to readdress in the summer and that's kind of where i'm happy with poro because that's a need and we don't have to readdress in the summer dan juma it is what it is um, I would have loved if they could have also added a central midfielder who can pass the ball that if they add that guy too, I call it a great winter or a great January. They didn't do that. So it's a fine January and that's okay. Like you got better in January. Most teams don't. So I'll take it. It's not a smashing success. It's not like last January when we were thrilled with it. Like that's a great January, but no this one was thrilled bad. when it happened. No. I mean, people weren't generally thrilled when it, it was, I mean, it was a month or two I, before I everyone thrilled, realized I what it happened. And like, I mean, I, me that. too, but you know, like, and this isn't that this isn't last January. Last January was a great January. This January is a fine January. I mean, I think it depends on Pedro Poro. Like if Pedro Poro really is the man, then it's yeah. a fucking amazing January. Yeah. But looking at it now, like it's a fine January and in January fine is okay. Yeah. And you know, maybe we look back in, you know, six months and we're go like, you know what? 40 million for Pora was an underpay. And, and, you know, maybe that's great. Maybe, maybe he turns out to be fucking amazing. And, but, you know, even if he's just a competent Premier League level right back, he's, he will be worth about the money we've paid for him. And, and the thing about him and Dan Juma both is we know that they are, at, at the very least, we know that they are Champions League level players. You know, it's not like Brian Heal or Papsar where we're taking flyers on these guys. And we're like, ah, maybe they'll be, you know, good. Like, you know, they've both shown to have the skill level needed kind of at this, at, at where Spurs are. I mean, I, I don't know. Poro's only done it in the Champions League against Tottenham, and he can't play Tottenham's defense anymore. So <laughs> our, friend, our friend Joel, who helped legal, legal or lawyer the uh... – the relevant UEFA clauses today. He made an interesting point in our Slack, which uh, stuck with me, which is about a year ago, we had players like Indombele and Lacelso and a few other, and Delhi. And one thing we said about Conte is like, well, now that Mourinho's gone, now that Ryan Mason's gone, now that Nuno's gone, like, we're going to get some fucking answers about whether these guys are good enough. And, you know, if Conte comes in and thinks, these guys suck shit, let's get them out of here, like, that's like we finally got an answer and we don't we, we you know we don't have to keep kicking that can down the road 
I think it, what Joel pointed out was that with Poro, I think it's kind of the opposite. If Pedro Poro is not a success at Spurs, if he doesn't sort of kick this, get this team playing better, I don't think it's as much an indictment of Poro at this moment in time as it will be of Conte. Because, you know, like if like Antonio Conte can bitch about our transfer policy and what we're doing at Spurs and what we did last summer, but like. You know he has done more with he has done more with worse right backs than Pedro Poro in his career, and if he can't get Poro firing on the right and really sort of get this team into a Champions League spot, you know I think we're going to learn whether or not Conte is like yeah. And again, like I think there's some legitimate reasons Conte might have checked out at this point, and now he's got like a gallbladder problem. So I, mean, I was going to say it's very Spurs that uh, you finally get in the right wing back that Conte needs and you're trying to integrate him in the middle of the season, and then Conte needs to have emergency gallbladder surgery, so he's going to be out for Poro's it first. It is. I mean, really. However deal. long of training, and, like, that's obviously not the most important thing, and I hope Antonio as well. But, you know, that is, of course, a very Tottenham thing. We're like, ha, we got Conte's guy. Where's Conte? In the hospital. The only way it could be more Tottenham is if the surgeon was a West Ham fan. But uh, <laughs> the, my point is, if he gets Poro in and can't fucking do anything with it, I think that's more of an indictment of Conte than anything else. Because he's done more with less throughout his career. In England, he's done more with less. So, uh, I mean, if he wanted... Again, I, I I think he is so much better than than um, Adama Traore. That, you know, if he can't make it happen with this guy, it's, you know... I, then we need to move on in the summer, one way or another. Uh so it'll be interesting to watch see hap- watch it and see it happen because I think I'm very high on Poro and I think I think this is a guy who could see with a guy who could succeed with Conte and a guy who could succeed with subsequent managers as well because I think this this is a guy who's got a very high technical ceiling and I'm very impressed with him if only because I got to see him in Lisbon and he was super fucking fun. Uh, you want to talk about all the people that left now? I guess. I mean, we only have so much time. Um, I mean, we talked about Doherty. I, I think the interesting one is Brian Heal going back on loan to Sevilla just because, I mean, what the fuck is this transfer at this point? I mean, it's like, embarrassing, but there's a level at which you just got to cut your losses. I mean, I think Heal offers some interesting shit, but, like, the thing about getting Heal, like, uh, so if you're looking at Paratici's time at Spurs and you're looking at the transfers he brought in, there's sort of, and I don't want to absolve them of blame, but like, I'm not sure he brings in a Brian Heal if Antonio Conte is the manager from jump. I mean, Emerson and Heal in particular, I think are players who are very ill-suited by going and getting Antonio Conte. Because he is not a guy, I mean, Emerson is ill-suited to this way Antonio Conte wants to play. And Antonio Conte is not going to develop players in the way that Brian Heal probably needed if he was ever going to be a success at Spurs. I mean, putting aside whether or not we should have bought him, like he needed a guy who was going to bring along young players, and that's not Antonio Conte, at least for a guy like Brian Heal. I, I think Spurs at this point just cut their losses, just get his salary off the books. Let's let's just move on. I mean, I, I think mean, Heal was not yeah, suited I was, I was to. Say, I think at this point, like you just kind of, it was twenty one million plus Eric Lamella for Brian Heal. Brian Heal is basically a lottery ticket except they paid a lot of money for their lottery ticket and yep it, it, paratici missed like a huge 
very expensive miss. And... If it was just Eric Labella, it would have been fine. If it was just yeah, a 20 like, whatever not, million, but, but it would have been fine. Another 21 but... million. And, like, he missed. He had a giant miss. And the important thing is going to be, like, fine, he went on loan now. Um, and it's not, like, a huge, huge issue yet because he is still under contract until 2026. So you could send him out on loan again next season and let him build up kind of some more um, – build up some more value and then sell them. But I think at this point, you kind of just got to accept the fact that Brian Hill is not going to be an impact player for Spurs. We vastly overpaid for him. And at this point, you're sending him out on loan to build up some value until you can sell him and make back as much of it as you can, which is not going to be as much as we paid for him because we wildly overpaid for him. And like, I just hope that Paratici, if he's still around and Levy are kind of accepted that and are willing to eat it and be like, all right, let's get what we can and keep it moving. We can't change the fact that we overpaid for him. I mean, you can't. And I think there's something that I think you see this in American sports more often where teams are just like, you know what? We fucked up. Like, let's cut our losses and move on. And I don't think European soccer clubs are. (laughs) Sorry, Brian. Um, The one time you're not muted. Um, I think um, American or European soccer clubs aren't as willing to just say like, you know what, fuck it, this isn't working, let's just get out of here. Um, and I think Spurs need to be ready to do that, especially like I think they were buying. Whether or not you think Nuno was the right guy for it, I think they were buying Brian Heal for a very different approach than we got when we brought Conte in in last October. So. You know, it clearly hasn't been working. I think Brian Heal has his assets. But, you know, you look at a guy like Heal, you look at a guy like Sar, you look at a guy like, um, was it, Divine? Um, you know, we're not Brian. We can still hear you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you look at these guys. I, 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 I don't know. And we just needed a more coherent strategy for what we were going to do with them. Like, I like Sar a lot, and I've actually been really impressed with Sar's sort of cameos for Spurs. But like, you've got to sort of wonder to yourself, especially with you know how little he's played this. Maybe, maybe you know, apparently he was sick last week, so that's part of why he didn't play against Preston. But you know, if we're not going to play him a lot in the second half of the season, like this is a guy who probably would have really benefited from starting a year in Italy. Um, you know, getting minutes. These are guys who need minutes, and. Spurs strategy towards them seems to be very haphazard. Like, what are we doing with skip? I mean, maybe there's injuries involved here that, you know, you can't entirely legislate for, but you know, we just lost our sort of youth recruiter to Arsenal. I mean, I don't know how much to read into all of this, but I don't think we have a super coherent strategy for what to do with these young players that we have. And I think it's hurting them. I think it's hurting us as a team and it's, you know, even if you're not prepared to like sort of use these guys in your first team, you've got to have a you know you got to have a loan strategy. You got to know what you're doing with them. Um. Yeah, and I mean, I think Skip and Sar are the two that are probably the most confusing. I think just because they seem like players. I mean, Skip especially has proven that he can do this at the Premier League level. He's he's been good for Spurs. Like it's not projection. Like he he's he's a Premier League level player. And so the question is is how does he fit into a Conte midfield? Um or how does he fit into this team as it's currently constructed? And it doesn't seem like he really does. 
and I know that there was the injury thing with him last year, and then he was still recovering for the early part of this year. But like Greg just said, he needs minutes. Saar is 20 years old. He is, you know, like I've said on, on the show in the past, he's a guy that has played in Ligue 1 for, you know, two years. Uh, you know, it, he, he has experience at the top level. Like, this is not a guy that needs to be sent to League One or the championship for seasoning. Like, these are guys that can play minutes in the Premier League. And I understand if we believe that Hoiberg and Bentoncourt and Basuma are are what gives us the best option. And I understand if you want to hold on to one of those two guys as your fourth midfielder. I get it. But, like, one of them should have made a move, right? Like, there, there has to be a market for Skip or Saar. To, and and I understand that maybe maybe the market for Sar is limited because of his lack of experience in England, um, and you and we can't send anybody else abroad without releasing him. So so Skip can't play somewhere like Skip couldn't start for Nottingham Forest, for Fulham, for Everton, or, or any of these clubs. Like I I think he can, and so I you know I. I I know Ryan has a lot of thoughts on where we are in a te- as a team in terms of process and the way we approach everything in general, like steal his thunder, but like just overall, like it just feels very disjointed how we're approaching this and how we approach player development and squad building. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at this as a whole, yeah, it, it I think it kind of comes down to squad management and contract management and across the board, I mean, we've we've been pretty disastrous, and we can list all the young players who got stuck in the squad and didn't get experience out and then ended up kind of floundering out. And then you also even look now at, um, like, we ended up just cutting Doherty and, and got nothing for him, and we're going to lose Lucas Mora for free this summer. And in the last several years, players that have left for free or very, very cheap because their contract was running out includes... Danny Rose, Serge Aurier, Jan Vertonghen, Musa Sissoko, Christian Eriksen. These are all players who have a lot of value at various points. And we got very, very, very little from um, at the end. And I think a lot of that is just really, really bad squad and contract management. And I think you see it at both ends with these players like that, who are great players. Um, at least some of them are great. Some of them are just useful. Um who end up going for free or near free. And then you have the young players who get stuck in the squad. And then you have Skip and Saar both sitting there. And I think probably the reason one of them didn't get loaned out is because Conte doesn't trust either of them enough. So he wants to have both options. So when he doesn't trust one, he can maybe go to another as an emergency pl- uh, midfielder. And you, you look up and down this team. I mean, we're going into a summer now where we're going to have Dyer, Kane, Hugo, Perisic, Sanchez all in the last year of their contracts and Winks too, who again, it, listen, I, I am probably the world's biggest Harry Winks hater, but that man had a giant market for years and we held on to him until he has no market left and we're going to lose him for free too. And we have these other contracts running down next summer. I think when you look at this, this is just a giant failure of Tottenham to manage the squad and manage the contracts and manage their young players. It, you can look at it from the most experienced to the least experienced. They just, they've just, failed at all of it and the only common thread here is daniel levy um because parity it this predates paratici it predates conte it's not just a pochettino problem it wasn't a Mourinho problem it wasn't a paul mitchell problem like this is just a thing that he used to be very good at and now he's become exceptionally exceptionally bad at 
And it's a thing that desperately needs to get fixed because we can sit here and say like, Hey, we're rich now. Um, and we are like relative to where we used to be and relative to a lot of clubs. But if this club does have any ambition, they want to be able to compete at least in some years with the top clubs. And those top clubs are a lot richer than we are. We still don't have man city money. We don't have Chelsea money. We don't have man United money. Um, and so you have to kind of win on the margins and you can't take these big losses the way that we have. And that's stuff that has to get cleaned up. The young players you either got to make money from or you've got to be able to develop them into being real contributors so that way you aren't spending. I mean, like we're talking about spending $24 million exercising Dan Juma's option. Maybe we do that, maybe we don't. But like, if you could have an academy player who can be your fifth forward, that saves you twenty five million. Like that, that's that. Those are where the academy could be a big difference. It's not just about finding your next Harry Kane. Sometimes it's finding your next fifth forward. And you also can't just have your great players walking for nothing because you need to bring money in to be able to spend for the next Harry Kane or whatever it is. That's kind of I think where the team has to get a lot better over now years. Now they have just really failed at squad and contract management and i think we saw that again this winter and that's what the club really really does have to figure out because it, it's just they're not going to be able to really mount a challenge against the clubs that are more well funded if they are blowing it at the margins every single time i mean i see a lot of spurs fans again i think a lot of the on we are uh, not even on we. It's not. I mean, the anger you see at the club it has to do with where Arsenal is in the table, and in the way that we got Harry Kane. You know, I think that you know them getting uh, Saka or whatever is. You know, some of that's just down to luck. You can't legislate for that. Like you just you just get a really good player and things line up. I mean, you know, Arsenal fans can say whatever they want about the strategy they've had over the last few years. Some of that is just like they fucking blew it so bad that they had to sort of roll the dice on their youth players. But the the thing that you have to give them credit for that you could used to give credit to Spurs for is, like, they had a pathway for players like that into their first team. And we're not really building that anymore. And there's a level at which, like, you know, you get a guy like Conte in, and that's just sort of what's going to happen. But, you know, like, what, what the fuck happened with Skip? Like, that was a guy that was playing a lot under Conte, that was playing well under Conte, um, that Conte was very irritated about not having here. And we just keep fucking up opportunity after opportunity. I think a lot of this is like things went really bad when Pochettino sort of fell apart, which I don't think is entirely the club's fault. But, you know, obviously us not renewing that summer has a lot to do with that. But we've just been constantly trying to keep our head above water ever since. So, like, if Conte just doesn't want to stick around after this summer, which between how the club's been playing and, you know – all the shit that's just been going on in Conte's personal life, I think is we're probably going to be looking for a new coach in the summer. You know, like, we just, we've got to reset and just, like, find a more competent way of managing our players. Like, you know, it just can't be this, like, trying to keep our heads above water. Like, if there's anything to learn about, learn about Arsenal, because I don't think they did this initially, but I think eventually they did it. It's like, okay, we need to take a step back before we can take a step forward. And, you know... Again, there's something like, okay, you want to keep this team around the Champions League level, that's fine. But, you know, Harry Kane's entering the sort of, like, the latter stages of his career. Son has certainly entered that period. You know, we need to take a hard look at where the squad is going and what we need to do going forward. Because we can't afford to keep mismanaging, you know, 
like you said, like you were saying, Ryan, like you know, guys like Vertonghen and Outerville, all these guys who's left for no money. And you know, I think you could afford to do that with a couple players. Like I, I've said on this podcast, like you want to keep Harry Kane and ride until the wheels come off. Fine, I think that's a very justifiable decision. But you can't afford to do that for all those other guys. Like you've got to be willing to sell a couple other guys to sort of keep the train on the tracks, for lack of a better metaphor. Um, and we need to take a hard look in the mirror. We need to take a hard look in the mirror about how we develop players, about how we're getting players into the first team, and how we're moving players on. Because we need to figure out, like, when it's time to, like, you know, like, we should be looking at selling Hoybeard. And that's not necessarily because Hoybeard is, like, a bad player and doesn't offer anything to our team. It's we need to be thinking about what can we get out of this guy while we can still get anything out of him so we can flip it to the next pl- next you know, sort of generation of Tottenham players. And that's the thing that I think, and I don't think it was like a conscious decision so much as like a bunch of shit just happened to the club and we didn't stay on top of it. Um, and, you know, as we build infrastructure, whether it's with Paratici or Levy or whoever, like that's the thing we need to keep track of. You know, whether we keep Conte and we, we have that approach or whether we move on from Conte and we have to hire someone else. We just need to reassess how we're handling that. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it on both ends, I mean, I think a great example right now is Tanganga. I mean, we thought he was talented. We thought he can be good. He could be useful. We never loaned him out. He's been sitting in this first team for four years now. And how many matches has he played? I mean, he he's, through no fault of his own, not helping the team, really. But he's also not really bringing in very much money. He could have gone on loan, and maybe if he developed there, maybe he could be more useful to us. Maybe we could have sold him by now and reinvested that money. There are a lot of things that he could have possibly done, but I think it's fair to say that spending the last four years sitting on the bench hasn't helped his career and hasn't really helped us. Like, that's a prime example of one that we just really screwed up because we kept saying, well, we got to keep him because he might play if three other guys get hurt. And that's basically what we've done for four years. And I, I think that's kind of a great example of we have to get better about developing those players. And I think if you look at the best run that we had under Pochettino came with Harry Kane. And it was because Delhi, who was bought for cheap, was able to make it happen. And Danny Rose came through and Kyle Walker got bought when he was a youth player for cheap. And you need those guys. If you're not going to be a Man City, if you're not going to be a Chelsea, you need those guys who you're who you're either coming through your academy or buying very young for relatively cheap to succeed. And we're seeing that now with Arsenal. Arsenal have been able to find those young players that they got through their academy or cheap. And even uh, Liverpool, who have more money than us in Arsenal, but are still well behind the Uniteds and the Cities and the Chelsea's. I mean, they had Trent come through their academy. They were able to buy Andrew Robertson for $8 million when everybody was kind of like, do you really think he's that good? Yeah, they spotted him and thought he was going to be really good, and they locked down two great fullbacks for a long time. To compete with those top teams, you need to strike on young players, and that's partially luck. Like, your academy's got to produce them, but then you've also got to scout young players well, and you've got to be able to bring them in, and then you have to be able to develop them, and we've really failed at that recently. And then I think when you look at the at the other end, like we've talked about these players who we just let walk for free. I told you the players who are up in a year. The problem now is you, all those guys, whether it's a Sanchez or it's a Dyer, they're going to have one year left on their contract. So if you are going to move them on, you're taking a cut rate price. The real question then becomes in 2025, you talk about Pierre, um, his contract's up in 2025. Ben Davies' contract is up in 2025. Son's contract's up is in 2025. Ryan Sessegnon's 2025. Tanganga's 2025. So which of those players are you going to give a new contract to? 
and say, hey, we're going to pay you this much money for the next however many years. And in Sun's case, that would be riding until the wheels come off. In Pierre's case, that's, you know, we're same thing really at that point. Or Cess, you can just get out from early. And who of those players are you going to sell? And then you have to replace them, obviously. And that's, I think, the real question. And that's where we've gotten behind is we're not just looking at this summer or next summer. It's really two summers from now when you have to make those calls. And we have failed at making those calls for years now. And we have to start doing that. But kind of to your point about always kind of being behind and playing catch up and just trying to keep our heads above water. You think about it. We talked earlier about all those players or all those positions we have to fill. We have to fill a goalkeeper. We have two center backs. We have two midfielders. We just got a right back, which is great. Um, we have to fill all those things. And then if you do decide to move on Pierre, that's another player you have to uh, replace. If you do decide to move on son, that's another player you have to replace. Although arguably, depending on how you feel about it, maybe you exercise that Dan Juma option. And now he's your fourth forward instead of your fifth forward. I mean, those are ways Sessegnon, same thing. Then you might have to bring in a left back because if not, you're going to ride out one more year of Perisic and then have, definitely need a left back. That's Davies, same thing. You got If you get rid of him, you got to bring in another center back. So I think kind of when you look at all this, even at the top end and kind of where Spurs are, it's, just, it's the squad mismanagement, but also this really does go back to those three straight windows when Spurs didn't sign anyone. And they've had some nice windows since, but they've never actually caught up to what they missed then. And at some point here, Spurs are going to have to have a massive, massive window where they go sign eight players or nine players or something like that. And that sounds intimidating. It sounds over the top because Spurs are still a pretty good team sitting in fifth place. But if not, they're going to continue just trying to keep their head above water because they have already five players that they have to sign. And they probably have to sell a couple more and then replace them. And then you're looking at seven players or eight players. Spurs still need that giant window or else they're never going to get their squad management in order and they will continue stop trying just to keep their head above water like you talked about. I think the only thing that I would say to kind of soften that position, and, and I, I agree with Ryan largely, but what I would just say is lots of clubs are very bad at this. Um, you know, it, it, even the clubs that Ryan mentioned is like, you know, having done good things like Arsenal. How many players did we used to talk about Arsenal letting walk on free transfer? Liverpool, who did a good job with some young talent identification, their their squad has like busted the age curve. And they've what have they done to really uh, refresh and make that team younger. Like there are not a lot of teams out there that are doing good and smart squad management the way that, you know, we as fans or people that play FIFA or football manager or whatever think that we should be doing because it's just hard in the real world. But to Ryan's point, we are a club that you have to look at the margins at, at, at how can you make up ground on these clubs that are run by, you know, sovereign wealth funds. Like, and so how can you make up ground on a Manchester city and, and maybe in a few years on a, on a, on a Newcastle. And it's by being smart about this stuff. And it doesn't take, you know, a brilliant football mind or, you know, someone who is, you know, a, a really great you know, director of football to do this. It just takes looking at, you know, in, specifically for Ryan's case, it takes looking at a spreadsheet, putting the names 
in a fucking list and putting their contract dates in there and then looking at it and being like, okay, what makes sense for this team? And so, you know, I, I think that's the frustrating part for me as a fan is that, look, I don't expect us to be, you know, 99th percentile in terms of like how we're running this club and, and our processes and everything. But like our process should be better than Brighton or our process should be better than Brentford. Like, you know, I, I think we talked on this podcast recently about like baseball and how like the really good teams in baseball just steal what the little teams are doing and then do it better and with more money. And that doesn't seem to happen in soccer. And so like, you know, if a, if a, when a Brentford or a, a Brighton exists in baseball, then the big teams, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, they just take that and then they do that with their people and with the, and with more money and, and Spurs aren't doing that. And that's my frustration is, is like, this, this is out there. This is a, this is a way that you can operate. This is a processes and procedures that you can put in place. And it's just not happening. And and they're not unique in, in, in the upper echelons of football. But if you want to just get that little bit further, if you want to go from, you know, where we are right now to, you know, winning the league, getting to champions leagues finals again that's the stuff you have to do i mean i think that's interesting too though because the funny thing is our greatest period of success came because we hired a head of recruitment and a manager from southampton like that that's what we did is we're like hey you see this small club who's winning in this particular way because they have found these ways to uh find advantages that the bigger clubs aren't and that's why they've been so successful why don't we just go hire them and that's how you had to put paul mitchell and mauricio pochettino and then we win a lot and the fascinating thing is this kind of fits into the the overall theory about levy and now that we're a big club this time he decided he was going to go hire his director of football from juventus whose really big uh advantage is they have they sign every good young player and loan them out in Syria and then eventually bring them back in. Like it, it's the complete opposite of what a club like Tottenham needs to do. And it's, it's befuddling because he already showed that he can do what you're talking about, find the lower clubs, see what they're doing great. And then just go hire their people and be like, Hey, go do that. But with more money now, and we've shown that it can succeed. And I mean, I think to your point about also these other clubs, just also not being great and having great processes. We see, I think that's kind of the interesting space that Tottenham find themselves in and Arsenal and Liverpool in that they have enough money that like, listen, we can sit here and talk about the many ways in which this club is screwed up over the last several years. I mean, they're in the champions league, they're in the round of 16 and they're in fifth place and have a chance to still make the top four again next year. Um, they can do that because we're richer than most of the other clubs, but they also exist in a middle space where they're still not nearly as rich as those top clubs. And we have enough money that we can have bad processes and spend our way to where we are. But if you want to go a step further, then you need the other stuff. And I think that's kind of where the process comes in. You don't need a good process to be richer than people. You need a good process to be as good as the people who are richer than you. It's it's so irritating because it feels like we're so close. Like, I mean, I understand that like the process, what you guys were saying, but it's like, God, like, if Poro's, like, the guy, like, if we just hit on him in the way that we hit on Kulishevsky, like, 
that solves so many problems. That puts us so far, so much further ahead than than you know we are right now. But you know, the fact of the matter is, it's like it stinks watching a club like Arsenal have a coherent transfer strategy pay off. And I think they're overachieving right now, but like they're still like you know ahead of us in a way of like they've. Got, They've got it working in a more coherent fashion in a way that's deeply frustrating to watch because they've screwed so much other stuff up in the years before. But it's just, it's it's so I mean, irritating because that's the thing though. It's we we seen Arsenal were crap for a very long time because they operated not dissimilar to how we've been operating lately. And look how quickly they turned it around. You, you, we are a mess. But like to your point, we are still close. Where if we figure it out, we could get back to being really good really quickly. Well, and you I just got to actually figure it out. I think that's something that like so you you look at social media right now and you see a lot of Spurs fans who are really like you know ready to jump off the side of a building. And I think the thing that I've always like you know like we've talked a lot of like the pro- we talked a lot on this podcast about the problems that Daniel Levy and you know our ownership have caused. But like the flip side of that is like they the club is sturdy enough in a certain way where like things can go really wrong and it's probably not getting worse than sixth. Like, you know, as bad as we can run things, as stupid as we can do things, sixth is a more seventh. Maybe if you want to be less generous, hello. Well, no, but like you look at Spurs, we just don't, you know, like what that, that year under Mourinho, we finished seventh. Like, you know, it just, it's like, we're not going to be Everton. We're not going to be, we're not even going to be Chelsea in a bad year. I mean, obviously they're having, you know, who knows what Chelsea are going to be like next year, but like Spurs have this like very high floor. And it's like, I don't think it takes more than a year or two to turn it around. If you like just start doing the things you need to do correctly. And I think that is what is so aggravating. And I hope like, I think this, this summer is going to be really interesting, whether we keep Conte or we move on. And it's like, well, how are you going to approach it? Are you going to keep trying to fucking triage this wound? Or are you going to, like, really take a step back and think, like, you know, give it a hard think about what this club needs to do going forward? Because, you know, again, I think everything's really just lining up for Arsenal this year. But you can't tell me that's not, you know, beyond our ability to do, even if our, even if you acknowledge Arsenal have a little bit more money to spend than we do. Yeah, I mean, I think... Like, let's look, let's say, how good can we be in three years? And I think that floor drops because, I mean, you said we only finished seven to that point. We won't be at Chelsea. A lot of that is Harry Kane. And Harry Kane, uh, unfortunately, is subject to father time like the rest of us. But even so, like, you lose a Kane, you lose a son, at least at the peak of their powers. Like, they're they're not going to be what they've been. Let's just say that. Even so... Richarlison will still only be 28. Decky is still going to be very good. Let's say Udogi and Poro hit. Romero's still great. You have in Betancourt, uh, Skip, and Basuma at least adequate central midfielders. I think you need to upgrade there, but they're they're youthful players. At that point, you're only saying you're you need what a center back, a goalkeeper, and a one good midfielder, and all of a sudden you have the spine of a really, really, really good team. And then you got to fill out the rest with, with solid players. So you don't have that weak link, but like, we're still not, we're three signings away from like having the chance at being very good in three years. Like it's, it's never that far off. The problem is you got to actually get those three signings, right. And then being able to play the margins 
So that way you can eliminate those weak links without having to spend money that we don't have. But it's right there. I mean, it is funny putting everything else aside to think about, like, we are probably better equipped to, to, for life without Harry Kane than we've ever been. In terms of, like, we have an actual center forward that we could, like, stick in there who it wouldn't be, like, if it just had to happen next season, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a disaster in terms of, like, who do you play up front next year? Like, okay, you play with Charleston. He's not going to be as good as Harry Kane, but, like, you're not stuck with Vincent Janssen or something like that, or you don't have to go spend, you know, 70 I mean, million pounds or whatever. I think that's kind of the beauty of also having someone like Decky and then having um, a, a very attacking right back. And then Udogi, I'm not sure. Say you go to a back four, he might be a forward at that point, And you see how he hits. But, like, Richarlison in the middle, is he great? No. But he does enough things that if you put real wingers next to him or, or a great attacking midfielder underneath him, he does all the work that frees up the rest of them. So you're not here saying, you're just like, okay, we need to go find another forward, or we need to go find a creative midfielder. And maybe that's Udogi as a forward. I, I still kind of have the dream of him as being Gareth Bale light, and that's who he is. And maybe that's the way it goes. Maybe not. Maybe you, maybe that's where you go and say, screw it, this is where we're going to spend $70 million and just go get that great player. In which case, yeah, like then you got to go find that margin in goal, or you got to find it at center back to fill it out. But like, we are rich enough that we can go buy that one player. And Richarlison's flexibility means that you can choose where you're going to go spend it instead of saying we need it to be actually this one role. You can say, let's go find the best guy who plays one of these three roles. And that works. Yeah. Do we somehow go from like super negative to super positive about our tri- about our squad situation in a single podcast? Because no, I because we're just optimistically positive. Like it's gonna it's gonna take a lot to get us. There. Look, look, Ryan's gonna just feed the club with the information they need to make good transfers on Twitter. It's gonna be fine. I think we've. I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share the Google Doc, and it'll be fine. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, Ryan at TottenhamHotspur.com. <laughs> Ryan, thank you for pitch hitting this week. Uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter uh, with your spreadsheets? Uh, you can go cuss me out at Comrade You Spurs. <laughs> uh, you can find me talking about professional wrestling, and I want you to send me all your thoughts about professional wrestling and acknowledge Roman Reigns at Ryan Rosenblatt um, on Twitter.com. Um, for Ryan, for Brian, for Ben, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, You Spurs.